0: Who tries to win?
1: Steve Balton. You're here on My Turning Point where this week we are joined by the amazing Liz Fair. What a fun conversation about art, art history, how art prompted her to get into music and how she could have been an artist except for the fact that music gave her a paycheck first. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Liz Fair as much as we did. So it could be something that happened in the car on the way here today. (laughs) <laughs> but it probably wasn't that monumental a ride, other than just being stuck in L.A. traffic.
0: I was stuck in L.A. traffic. Of um, course. For me, a big turning point was uh, when I was attending Oberlin College in Ohio, and I was a studio art, art history major. So I had a double major, and I was studying for a final and I was looking at the tome, Modern Art. And that's what the title was, Modern Art. And I, th- I believe this was taught by a female professor even. But sort of an idle inclination, I started counting how many women were included in this massive book called Modern Art. And it was, it was something as horrifying as 16 women before 1960 were included And then I thought, well, it's got to get better, you know, in the modern period, the modern period after 1960. And it was an incredibly small number. And I realized, like, no matter what I did in my life, no matter how much of a splash I made or what great piece of art I put out, there was actually sort of a built-in hardwired system to make sure I didn't matter and that I wasn't heard or seen or important in any way. And then I just felt this overwhelming sort of fury about that and it it started an engine in me to log on to history and make sure that my life was remembered in some way for my creative output and just be one of the women that counted after 1990 I guess
1: (laughs) interesting now first of all I'm just fascinated do you still are you still very into art did you paint yourself or was it more as a, a student of it
0: no, I was an artist. I was a visual artist, and I suppose I still am since I still have the skill. But, um,
1: yeah, it was very important. Do you still practice it, though?
0: Not on a regular basis, but when I have challenged myself with it, I'm <laughs> glad to see that the skills are still there.
1: Well, that's a fascinating thing, though, too, because it's really funny because, I mean, obviously, you know, there's such a... Uh, like, both Brandon Boyd and Search Tanking and our friends, and we've talked about this extensively, that mix of music and painting, but you go back. Like, I was just blessed enough to meet Joni Mitchell and you go back and there's always been this sort of correlation between the two and what's been really fascinating is to talk with so many musicians about the fact that after they become successful in music it allows them more creative freedom in other arts because you kind of don't feel that pressure of having to succeed in it so I'm curious if it's something that you see yourself ever going back to or just enjoying because you know there's such a, a I mean for as long as there's been the rock era there's been that mix of music and painting
0: I think artists tend to be talented in multiple media. They're not usually just a one-trick pony. I think if you're creative, you're creative. And anything that you're put, anything you're tasked with, you're going to find a creative way to sort of bat it back to the authority. And I absolutely felt like uh, I could have um, succeeded in different media. Music was the first one that was ready to hand me a paycheck, And I could get off my dad's health insurance, you know, so that was like a determining factor. But um, I do use my visual sense quite a bit. And in fact, it's maybe part of what I get out of this business is sort of the visual impact of things and presenting a show, just the spectacle of it. I think I'm very visually tied in.
1: That's so funny you say that because I just talked to Alanis maybe 10 days ago, two weeks ago, and we were discussing her love of design and how that comes into the show. So I feel like it'd be a really fascinating trade-off to see you know, what you and she sort of would bring to, to the other set.
0: I've immediately started thinking about it <laughs> the, minute, the minute I was tapped. I'm like, what am I going to do with that half an hour? You know, Yeah, for sure. I think it's a big part of who I am and what I, how I perceive what I do. And even if you want to think of like a turning point um, in the music side, I think it would be when I was struggling to find a template to do like, how do you learn how to make an album? I decided I wanted to make an album. How do you learn how to do that? And I think I had a boyfriend at the time, like laughingly, I sort of found a box of cassettes in my apartment and said, you know, well, is this a good one? Is this a good record? And it was Exile on Main Street. And Mm -hmm. he just kind of scoffed at me. And he's like, yeah, you should do that. It's a double record. Why don't you do that? And just the complete, the idea that I couldn't or that I wouldn't or that it was somehow the sacred, untouchable piece of art immediately made me want to grab it and take a shot at it.
1: It's amazing, I think, how it's funny because, again, I mentioned I was being I was at Billboard of Music last night, our Billboard Women in Music, and Taylor talked about that in her acceptance speech. The more that someone tells you you can't do something, the more you want to do that. But I don't even know if it's gender-specific. I think for all artists of all kinds, there's a natural rebellion of just being able to say, if someone tells me I can't do something, then you're nodding your head. You're like, yes. So it's funny. I mean, how much of a, a sort of driving force in your music or your art has that been?
0: It's everything. Rebelliousness is everything to me. I have to trick myself into productivity by starting multiple projects so that I can betray one with the other and still get a lot
1: done. That's fascinating. So as you started to have success, did you find that it became harder to find that sort of rebelliousness and were there periods then where you were like, all right, like you say, you had to trick yourself into it?
0: Well, what can happen is you... What rebelliousness really means is authenticity and a fresh perspective, something that is unknown as of yet. So I guess you could easily, and I have at different points in my career, gotten trapped in a cycle of feeling like I'm being rebellious, but actually I'm just continuing to do the thing that has me trapped in a way Um, I think rebelliousness just says there's other ways to look at this why aren't we talking about those why do I have to agree with your perspective on something and I see it this way or even searching out something I think a lot of artists spend a lot of free time trying to find something fresh to say and to look at the culture with different eyes. So if you're just promoting all the time and you don't take time to actually, like, pull out of the system to look at it, I don't think you can have a fresh perspective, at least not on the work you're doing. You might be able to... I think it always helps to get really granular, get really detailed about what you're interested in. Really, like, you know, whereas someone might think of it as a time-wasting mechanism to go down a wormhole for an artist, it's, it's fresh soil. It's, there's always something inspiring in it.
1: Well, that's interesting on multiple levels. I mean, in terms of, of even when you're promoting, right now it does feel like in the world there's so much to look at and talk about some good, most not so good at all times. I feel like there's always sort of fresh stuff from an artist's perspective, but internally, of course, yeah. And I think that most artists do push themselves from the internal. So it's interesting. What was the last thing that you really went down a wormhole with?
0: Um, The dead bodies on White Island. I sort of went into like what a volcano does to the human form and what it would be like to be in those last few seconds. It's not pleasant. It's not pretty. <laughs> but I sort of, I educated myself a little bit about pyroclastic flow and, you know, water temperature and how they could actually go back onto the island so recently after an eruption, how predictable quakes are post-quake, et cetera. So yeah, that's what I was spending
1: my free time doing. And how did you come onto that subject?
0: It was in the news. I I will follow a trail. But I mean, in terms of creative, what's the last thing that inspired me creatively? Just walking along the Strand the other night, freaking out about our political situation, trying not to become overwhelmed and... uh, Hyperventilate about what potentially can happen to this country. I started looking just at the Christmas lights that were up everywhere. And I love any time that reality is you know suddenly blown apart like on holidays or Halloween and I wonder to myself why we all are so controllable that we'll drive in our lane stop at the red lights do what we're supposed to and then every once in a while it's just like free for all like the creativity is there but it isn't encouraged in our society a lot of times
1: well that's interesting but I think it's it's beaten out of you from a very young age for everyone yeah I, I do. I think that you know, as a tendency, and, and especially for someone like me who talks to so many artists, it's fascinating. But yeah, I mean, do you feel looking back on it that it was encouraged in you? I mean, if you even if you go back to his beginning, as simple as you know, coloring inside the lines, following directions at school, there's always been that tendency to have to follow along and conform.
0: I had I had a lucky draw in the parent lottery. Um, and I definitely had a creative mother who encouraged creativity, and it was it was a good school system for creativity. Although obviously there are certain things you have to do, and there are ways in which that that was frustrating. But no more so, I don't think, than anyone else. I think what was a shock was discovering how few um, schools actually fund the arts, and the sort of there was a moment even in the place I live now where my son tested into a gifted and talented program early on in elementary school. And it was just meant as a supplementary educational um, track to let kids with different brains, you know, discover what the good side of that is. So it wasn't always just being told what not to do in class and how to obey. Um, And at the first meeting with the parents about this you know, gate, they called it gate program. The speaker said, now I want to encourage all of you parents who are considering whether or not to enroll your child in this program to not let the negative reflection influence you. And my, my ex-husband and I looked at each other like, what are they talking about? That there was this, this bias against kids that would be selected for and that parents were afraid to put their kid in the program because they were afraid they would be made fun of or that they would be considered different or lesser and this was something we were incredibly proud of and we're just looking at each other like where are we? Where did we land where someone that would be talented in a creative way would be considered less than or worse off and it's actually (laughs) very common, it's actually very prevalent
1: Well I was going to say, I mean it's funny because you say where are you You now I think when you read through internet comments when you see you know how our elections have gone you know, well, that's all of America, or the majority of it at this point. But that's a fascinating thing too, because it's funny. Because you say that you were lucky in both the parent department as I was, and you were lucky in the schooling department. The difference is I had no actual talent, so, but you had the schooling as well. So it's interesting. How much of a shock was it to the system was it though then when you come out of that and realize that that's not encouraged everywhere, and that wasn't the the typical thing.
0: It makes me wonder how much of the problems that we have right now stem from a a failure of imagination, an inability to perceive a different way, another way, the way someone else lives, to put yourself in someone else's shoes. If you don't have imagination, if you haven't learned to use your own imagination, respect your imagination, understand your imagination, how can you feel empathy? How can you imagine a different... Trajectory for our energy needs? How can you see a solution to a problem that no one's been able to solve yet? Like, imagination is critical for all of those things.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's interesting what you say, though, about the empathy, because I mean, that ties in so much with I mean, I think the majority of what's happened in the last few years is I don't necessarily think that people are, you know, inherently evil. I do think that they're scared and there's an ignorance. And then, you know, you start to see, you know, just what's happened here. When I say here I mean America. Oh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm thinking of I'm thinking of UK right now.
1: Oh, it's fine. So, well yeah, well I mean you could project it to around the world, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. But Failure this be- of
0: imagination.
1: Yeah. This being said it's funny cuz I did expect the fact that uh, you know this would be heavier because you know we have spoken before. And I do recall telling you at the time, and you said this was a big compliment, you were one of the two smartest people I've interviewed. And so I'm having a hard time keeping up now, (laughs) brain-wise. Sorry. (laughs) That's all good. I I like the challenge. (laughs) But it's interesting, too. I mean, you know, it's funny because even tying it into the more practical, the idea of, you know, following nonconformists and doing different things ties in so much with horror stories and the way that you chose to write it as opposed to doing a linear, okay... I was born so-and-so on this day, you know, and now I'm here. So it's interesting. Was it something, I mean, it's funny. When you're making an album, right, there's usually a jumping-off point. There is something, there's a song, there's a key. There's one thing that sort of says, okay, this is the direction this is now going. When you were writing horror stories, was there a jumping-off point? Was there some early thing that said, okay, this is the direction that this book is going to go rather than the, you know, I was born so-and-so. And
0: Oddly, I mean, I would have to say the Trump administration, the outrage I was feeling, the the inability to comprehend how we arrived here and feeling helpless in a lot of ways to do anything about it and wondering what exactly the problem was. And I think part of what I hit upon was that I did not want to play the, you know, Chicken game where one person bullies the other till someone breaks. I wanted to actually rip open myself and lay bare. I wanted, does that make any sense? The power and surrender just to say, you want some awful stuff? Like, here it is. I have no way to stop you from judging me. Like I, I want to show that you can be weak, that you can be conflicted, that you can have questions, that you can not see the way forward, and that that can be noble. That can be all that life is really comprised of, ultimately. How much of your day is spent, oh my God, if I take this route, will I make it in time? And if I don't make it in time, what's that gonna do to the meeting? And if the meeting goes bad, what's that gonna, You know, just this kind of snowball feeling of having to look like we're in control. We know what we're doing, and we have the upper hand. And that seems to me what Trump is all about. And it's false, and it's a fake front, and I think it was my way of planting a flag in complexity and um, vulnerability and hope.
1: That's such an interesting thing, though, too. Excuse me, because I also think that it becomes so important in this day and age of social media. So do you find as well that, you know, putting aside the Trump thing for a second, just when you have so many people who are so susceptible to the idea of planting this you know, false life and creating it and afraid to show the fact that, yeah, okay, cool, well, yes, you were hanging out with this person yesterday, and guess what, then you went home by yourself and you had a shit night or your toilet flooded or whatever the fuck happened you know so do you feel that it becomes more important to also show that vulnerability because you are in a power where at least you know there are people who are aware of you follow you whatever it is and put it out there that there's a vulnerability that it's okay to have a bad day it's okay to not be in control of things
0: Where do you think I write my songs from? Like, if I didn't have all that material, how would I write my songs? (laughs) I mean, it's absolutely true. And I I meet people that are well-known. I meet people that are just driving me somewhere in a car. And I am equally attracted to any cool person and equally repulsed by any gross person. And it doesn't matter who they are, what they are, or how I encounter them. It has to do with, I think, your... Whole, your, your total package. You know, ultimately we're human beings on the planet. I do tend to, what do you call scale out and look at things from a very far distance maybe. Mm-hmm. We have one little living spaceship that we need to take care of. I mean, there's just, there are huge pressing problems and there are personal challenges and all of these things make the system that we're all living in. So, if you want to affect the system, I think you have to affect the heart and the mind.
1: That's interesting. I've always said, well, I don't know, do you have a favorite sort of political songwriter?
0: <laughs> Are there such things?
1: Are yes. there political songwriters?
0: I didn't know that was like a track you could be on. I think they Are they're- there like Guthrie?
1: I mean, you know, Who's well, a political look, political
0: songwriter.
1: Well, people, it does. It's obviously not people who've written only political songs. Oh,
0: I was thinking there was like political songwriting, kind of like country.
1: No. Music. No, <laughs> but people who who folk. E- Yeah, and also just not even just folk. I mean, when you look at, you know, maybe political, maybe socially conscious is the better term. But it's interesting. The reason I asked specifically is what you were just saying. I've always advocated for John Lennon because of the fact I think what made him so effective as someone who wrote about social change was that it always did come from such a personal standpoint, So for you, it's interesting when you go back and look at your own writing, whether it's songs or whether it's stuff in horror stories, are there things that, because writing being subconscious predominantly, are there things that emerge that surprise you or especially in a memoir, though, where you start to think like, oh, I hadn't thought about that in so many years.
0: I was freaked out by how much Christianity played into my memoir. I do not consciously connect to that in my daily life. It's been ages since I've gone to church and been a part of a church uh, congregation although I did sing in choir and I did go to church when I was growing up and went to Sunday school and the whole bit confirmed, baptized, all of it but I just, I have not thought about that as an adult and I didn't raise my son that way and yet when I write it's all in there like all of that good and bad, should and should not and sin versus purity, all that stuff is in there and it freaks me out. It really was an eye-opening experience to realize how much I am forever because of the way I was, just the culture that we live in. Like religion plays a major role in making sure things run smoothly, still for like many different cultures. It's, a, it's an organizing function.
1: So how old were you when you stopped practicing or when you stopped following?
0: I guess college, high school, I don't even remember. There was no like, it just kind of dwindled away, you
1: know? No, it's really fascinating because like I said, we had Flea on and, you know, he's a friend and we talked about this and I think it's a really interesting thing. I think that, you know, it's funny going back to the idea of being rebellious. I think what happens is there's a period where you distance yourself from everything and I mean, when I say you, I mean everybody. And then it's interesting, as you get older, you start to realize how much that childhood shit still stays with you. And it becomes shocking because, again, if I, don't, I mean, in Flea's memoir, so much of the stuff is centered around being a kid. It actually ends, before he joined, or it ends right when he joins the Chili Peppers. So it actually ends in 83. But it's interesting because, it, as he was telling me when he was writing it, You know, he realized how much that childhood stuff. So it's funny for you, now looking back on having written the book, can you see that, you know, okay, it surprised you at the time to realize how much Christianity and religion was there, but can you see now, like, okay, I I guess it doesn't surprise me as much, or when you look at it, I guess what I'm trying to say is... No, it is
0: shocking. It's still upsetting to me in a weird way. Like, I, I don't like that there is real estate in my subconscious that is being not only taken up by, but but um, filtered for or you know somehow it's selecting. It's selecting. It's a guiding principle. And at one level, I don't mind. I'm a fan of many religions, and I like spirituality, and I like the soul, and I like the idea of sort of divine creation. I like all of that stuff. I just, as I got older, I became more inclusive in terms of how you could worship that, how you could touch that, connect to that and I just immediately just like boom and it was suddenly a multiverse for me a multiverse of religions and I enjoy everybody's religion if I'm allowed to participate in it and I like any sort of group gathering together to think about something other than the sort of selfish daily practical grind of your routine but at the same time it's, it's, it's got too much of a voting share do you know what I mean? Like it's Yeah, but it's, now
1: now that you're aware of it, is it something you can I
0: don't think so. How do you get rid of something so subconscious? I'm not going to sit and do a lot of meditation on it. But I'm going to I'm going to
1: Maybe you could have an exercise? Well, I, no. I
0: mean, I don't want it gone. That's the problem is that like some part of me relies on that secondary voice that says, "Oh, you should get up and water the plant now because you will forget later." more and more I listen to that and I just when I hear the prompt I just get up and do the thing because the voice is always right and I do forget you know what I mean like (laughs) but I don't know who that is and my worry is I need to go back and have a meeting with the powers that be in my subconscious because I want to know who is who's doing the talking like who is the prompter
1: but that's so interesting because as an artist do you feel like you have more of an inclination to listen to that because as an artist again I've talked about this with every fucking songwriter in the world from Jackson Brown and Ben Harper to whoever. And it's like, you know, you have those moments that hit you. And as an artist, you have to be trained to listen to them because if not, you know, you might lose something or or whatever. You know, so do you think you're more trained to listen to that prompt or that subconscious because that's also how you've gotten so many songs over the years?
0: Mm -hmm. I think creativity or the pursuit of creativity does teach you about your instincts. Not all of them are right, but at this ripe old age, I would think that I'm getting them right more than not, you know, after trial and error. So a young person might be getting into all sorts of trouble, as did I, listening to those instincts, which are not always like good ones, but but there's no question that to have a sense of your own power I think is common to all artists because it takes a certain amount of bravery to get up and say something different than other people are saying. Even just to stand up in class. Do you remember being in school? How nerve wracking it was just to even raise your hand and try to answer a question. And a lot of people want to do that and find themselves intimidated and they become lifelong fans because they, they couldn't quite, they couldn't. And, and I have a lot of sympathy for that because in a way you can say, oh, I failed to stand up and speak for myself in class. But in another sense, what you're really doing is protecting that part of yourself that isn't totally controlled by everyone yet and sometimes it is too soon to bring it out and sometimes you will be savaged for it so it's not necessarily an unhealthy instinct to second guess yourself or hold back on it but um, I rely on my instincts and when you think about aging and what would terrify you about losing your mind like not being able to trust my instincts I would put at the very top of the list
1: so, so what made you? It's funny when you go back and th- we talked about the idea of horror stories and being in response to the Trump administration. But it's interesting were there su- were there fears that emerged or specific memories that you're just like, huh? I haven't thought about that in forever. Or just I think it's a fascinating thing to approach the book from that perspective because I think you know obviously one of the things that that you want to do in life is you being everyone confront your fears, overcome them so they don't dictate you. And it's funny because even like I used to be, as a kid, you talk about being in class. I hated public speaking. You know, I couldn't do it to save my fucking life. Now, as Taylor knows, because she knows me, you give me a microphone, you can't shut me the fuck up. She's laughing over there. <laughs> so it's interesting. As you For you, how much of confronting those and overcoming those was part of the book or how much did putting them down then sort of come into the idea of like, okay, cool. Once you think about it, you're like, it's not so much of an issue. Uh,
0: there, Sure, there was catharsis. There was absolutely a sense of having a final say about some things. So I have had my say. You know, the people involved in some of my stories haven't all had their say per se, <laughs> say, say. <laughs> but um. I don't think you can, I mean, you can have catharsis in the sense that I understand this thing that I did or that happened to me, and I understand how it's shaped me and why it has made such an impact and why, I mean, I really chose stories from my book that I couldn't stop remembering. As a former boss of mine, the artist Ed Paschke said, it's, they're the bugs that get stuck in your grill on your car, they're like the things that stick. So they were clearly unfinished business for me and I needed to write about them. But I don't know that you can ever really relitigate the past. You know, it, it, it happened in the moment. It was a momentary thing and you react as you react. When you smash the atom, all sorts of weird shit comes out and you can't predict where it's going to go and, you know, what, how it breaks apart. And some things that are broken are just goddamn broken, you can't fix them. But we all have to lead, live our lives and like lead our lives knowing this. It's impossible to fix the past. It's impossible to to, to pull out that ingrained Christianity from your subconscious. But it, it's not in any way limiting if you don't feel like the fear is driving you. And I think that's something interesting that you say, like it's the fear of those things. It's the fear of raising your hand. Think of how much time and energy you spend with the fear of speaking rather than what you even said. So I try to eliminate as much of the fear blockage in my life, in my art, in everything as I possibly can and just let the actual truth which can hurt you <laughs> sit there, you know, but try to you know, shave off, wash off peel away the fear part and the second guessing and just get get to the facts, ma'am, you know?
1: What's interesting, going back to the Christianity thing for a second, it's funny as you became aware of this in the book. Can you then go back and, and find things in other works, whether it's predominantly obviously songwriting, where you're like, oh, okay, I now see this from that perspective of, you know, because again, even when you look at an album like Exile and Guyville, Whip Smart, whatever, you're a whole different person. You've had a whole life since that stuff comes out. So you now have that perspective of looking at it almost from the standpoint of, of an outside person. You know, So do you see then in those moments in earlier songs That you either have a great appreciation for Or those things there that, are, that were in your subconscious That you're like, oh, okay I now see where those came from Even though I had no fucking idea at the time
0: I think there's some of that I think some of it is referential to the music And vice versa I would say more than anything though I think of my stories as separate, discrete songs In a weird way so, to me, they're little content packages, and I think I less spend time saying like, oh, wow, that's probably why I was writing all those songs back then, and more as kind of a comforting feeling of like, now I have encapsulated and put this little memory capsule somewhere safe for safekeeping that I can show to someone, you can look at it, and I think that I wrote it in such a way that you'll get something out of it for your own life. and that kind of it's more. I have a hoarder's instinct for for pieces of creativity, and I have no that I don't even really have a handle on. That is the part that is driving me rather than me driving it.
1: But it's interesting when you look at that from the standpoint of a fan. Then, when you think of other people's music that has that same impact on you of of sort of capturing because, of course, you know, great songwriting speaks to the idea that it, it feels like it's speaking to you. Even when it's written Should. for, yeah, exactly, for the whole universe. So, for you as a fan, think back to those those early moments that sort of had that impact on you where you sort of collected those. And it's interesting to see then the ones that stay with you. Because it's funny to me, even a song like James Taylor, Fire and Rain, you know, for some reason, couldn't tell you why, that song has stuck with me for like 30 years and through every facet, f- sort of facet of my life. So, what are those ones for you that, that, have that same sort of impact that you sort of collect since you say a hoarder's mentality. Do when you mean comes- other
0: people's music? Yeah. Like songs that other people that I've stuck with?
1: It's so good to you. Or that you even started There's to realize. There's this
0: one. There- <laughs> Do you remember that? You got to be bad. You got to be bold. You got to be wiser. You <laughs> yeah, got to be now that, now that hard. Gotta be tough, you got to be tough. You got to be stronger. <laughs> yeah. Um. That one always is like a good rallying thing. I think I see myself as this like little mighty mite that has to like, you know, I grew up with a lot of. You know, an older brother and a lot of male cousins that were older and I was sort of always either running to catch up with everybody or not totally, you know, whatever, I was sitting in my patent leather shoes. So there's a little bit of like the toughy girl that's like, no, wait, I can keep up kind of thing and that's a good song for me is a rallying cry. Like, what? You know, The Who, Baba Riley, that opening will always hold the bus rides back from ski trips in my mind and the moment of adolescence where maybe I have, like, a new guy sitting next to me in the <laughs> bus ride. But, like, that that long intro basically encapsulates an entire multiple-year section of what it felt like to become a young woman and to, like, have romance and hang out with the cool kids in the bus. I don't know. It just... It's very evocative to me. Yeah, music is absolutely the most evocative touchstone for me, even more so than a book I've read or a movie which I love. Music, it bypasses my intellectual brain and goes right into my emotional, uh, whatever you call it, the emotional center. Yeah, and I love that about music. It's It is a magic trick.
1: I feel like that's actually kind of a good wrap-up note, but it's funny because then taking it into the idea of this tour because I'm such a fan of both of the other artists.
0: Me too. You know? It's easy, right? It was just like, yes, yes. (laughs) Would you like, yes, yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
1: <laughs> alright well it's funny because I actually the tour I had interviewed Alanis, but the tour was announced after I did the interview so I, I tried to edit but the story came out right after so there was one question I wanted to ask her which I didn't get to ask her but I will ask you what's the one song that you would want all of you to do together it doesn't actually have to be from one of you it can be a cover song thank
0: I, you innocence thank you too. thank you thank you silence Okay. yeah, yeah. that's another song that would definitely be a touchstone song for me. Like I guess I have these little motivating okay. songs like. <laughs> So thank you. That's what I would do for all of us. I'm nice. ready to karaoke the shit out of that.
1: <laughs> all right, so since you brought up the karaoke, what what song of yours would you want to see them karaoke?
0: Oh, God, I could, I would never even, I don't even, my brain, like, already, I'm like, no, I can't answer that song. (laughs) Whatever they want to. (laughs) All right, last question. I guarantee it's going to be either fuck or run and divorce song. (laughs) So, I don't know which ones I would want them to do, but it would be fuck or run or divorce song, reliably. All
1: right, so what would be the, uh, I I mean, this is interesting, because writing a book is a fucking arduous draining process and it's funny because Flea you know like I said his book came out he said it ended in 83 right I'm like so is there going to be a natural next chapter and he's it's funny because he said originally that was 100% the plan and he's like now I have to let you know he's like I honestly have to think about it it is tiring it's exhausting so having gotten the one out will there be another one Me? Yeah,
0: a thousand percent. There's going to be five more. Yeah, no, I love it. It is. It is a hideous process and a hideous occupation, in its like bare bones, stay-at-home, isolated, pajamas, dirty hair, misery. Right? No question. I totally get why no one ever finishes their books. Like, it's a thousand percent clear to me in a way that even as an intelligent, mature functioning human in in a creative industry, I couldn't even begin to understand. The way in which the choices you made in the beginning dictate the way you have to finish it, the funnel narrows and it just gets a tighter and tighter squeeze. and The pressure is horrendous (laughs) mentally, (laughs) but as a glutton for punishment
1: I was just going to say I as love you de- it <laughs> I was just going to say As you describe this Doesn't that make you A bit of a masochist
0: I, I am a bit of a masochist But I'm also the first one To start crowing around the house The minute I've completed something And tell everyone That I'm a genius So like the high high For me Compensates for the low low
1: so have you thought about the direction or, or sort of the narrative for, for future ones since you already are sure there are five?
0: Yes. I mean, well, I no, I don't know. I haven't sketched out the other four, but I definitely have fairy tales on lock. I've got that.
1: Okay. Nice. Well, I'm excited to read it. Thank you. Cool. What do you want to add I did not ask you about?
0: What? Album. Bradwood. Well, he has to ask me a question, right? I don't know what I'd say. <laughs> Otherwise, it sounds like a... Can you ask me about the new album?
1: Sure. But, I, I mean, tell me about the I mean, it's funny. Well, we'll take what we were talking about into, into you know, from... It's funny because I focused on the book because I, I come from a writing standpoint. But from an album standpoint, so many of the same things apply. So as you were writing the record, were there particular songs on there that surprised you or stood out or that, you know, I mean, obviously when you... And it's interesting, too, because when you have two pieces of work that you're working on simultaneously, they definitely infiltrate each other, going back to what we were talking about, the music and the painting.
0: I was surprised by how much being wordy, you know, in the prose sense for when I was writing my memoir, actually made me less so in some of the songs. so the new album has either songs that have less lyrics than I normally would put in or I start rapping practically <laughs> like I'm cramming as many like words per minute as I can get in there. but I, I found that it, it sort of took the middle road and so the music went on either side either like a little more sparse or even, more just rapid fire, almost Jeremy Engel-esque lyricism. Um, I really did enjoy being able to float in the medium of music because the the emotion isn't entirely in your own head and isn't all resting on the words. Like you're actually using instruments and arrangements and vocalizations to make the feelings happen. So it was really fun also when I was reading the audiobook for the memoir just to I finished early and we had a couple days left booked in the studio so I just made all these interstitials and I think the director of the audiobook was really just just completely shocked Because I looked at the engineer and we knew each other from the studio, and I was like, Yeah, I'm gonna make a couple of music things. And I just started running back and forth, (laughs) getting instruments and just like throwing a line down and telling him what to do. And the director of the audiobook was like, Oh, okay, now I remember who she is. Like, because I just think he never had seen anyone create music that fast, that quickly. You know, we're just like, Bam, 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 it's just shorthand. And I think when people hear this new record, which I cannot wait for them to hear because I recorded it with Brad Wood, who was the original producer on my first record, Exile in Guyville, and we both, we talked about it a lot and we took time over the summer making false starts, coming up with something. I really wanted it to sound current, but as if it was what we naturally would have done, the two of us as our artists together, 25 years later like what would that sound like and I really wanted it to sound like nothing anyone had heard before and yet incredibly familiar so as you can imagine that's like in bowling what do they call that the split the yeah. There's like a word for it when you have like a 10 and a 2 or whatever it seven, is. 7-10 split? 7-10 split. It was like a 7-10 split. So there was some like wrestling back and forth with what this record would sound like. And what we arrived at I think is completely fresh and I find it incredibly addictive. So yeah.
1: It's such an interesting thing because as you're talking about it, the, the parallel art that came to my mind is um, the link letter Before Sunrise series Ah, which is one of my favorite like series of movies where they would just revisit every you know 8-10 years and have sort of unscripted dialogue so it's interesting I mean you know because it goes back to what we were talking about the changes in your life and how you become a different person so as you started to work together were you surprised at all at at how it came back or you know I mean talk about the things that you brought back to each other because again now you have a quarter century of different experiences You know, and new things that you've learned.
0: One of the things that I always appreciate about Brad is that he allows my musicality to remain intact all the way through to the end product. I can hear my, you know, from what the demo would be to what the finished song is, you can hear everything that was in potential in my demo. He's hearing the tonalities the same way I am, he's hearing the unusual chord families the same way I am so the music that we finish with I understand it feels like I was not taken apart and reassembled it feels like I got to remain intact the whole time and I don't think I appreciated back in the day just how carefully he selects his sounds and his you know his his production style is much more apparent to me now and I can appreciate it in a whole new light at the time, back in the day, I was just concerned with myself and what my voice sounded like and what people were going to think of me, et cetera, et cetera. And this time, I really got to appreciate the musicianship of everything that he does, and I, we really enjoyed. We work really like the mus- The the things that we each care about separately do not conflict (laughs) does that make sense yeah and we arrive at the finish line with each of what each other cares most about intact and it's kind of beautiful
1: it's funny having had that experience now like you say you didn't maybe appreciate it as much when you were young because I talk about this all the time with people when it comes to success you know like again, I because I just talked with Alanis about it and she's a perfect example of someone who, you know, hits this lightning in a bottle on the first album and then you think, Okay, it's gonna be like this and then you realize, wait, it's so different and it's so cyclical. So you don't really have without the reference point you can't necessarily appreciate it. So for you then Do you now look back on it and say, wait, why the hell did we wait 25 years to work (laughs) together again? What the fuck were we not thinking? And are you already thinking ahead? Since you've already got the next book planned, are you already thinking ahead to working with Brad again in the future?
0: I don't know I honestly I didn't I don't look at it that way I think I would have felt incredibly trapped if I had to stay with the same producer my whole career because that wasn't something we didn't get together as young kids and say hey let's you and me start a band because we like all the same music he was the guy in the neighborhood who had a recording studio who was willing to do it for free he was the first guy I was introduced to as a producer and that's the guy I worked with so in a way I think it's nice that he's done a bunch of stuff, I've done a bunch of stuff. I would always prefer to have projects come together based around what the concept of the piece is. I don't ever like getting locked into circumstances creatively. So even if I would love to work with it again, I just don't ever want to say that because I always want to have the ability to look at the piece and the work and say what do I want this to do and who's the best person for this, yeah.
1: All right, so when you think ahead to playing this record live, and not necessarily so much on the tour we talked about because in a half hour, there's very little chance to do new stuff, uh, but are there songs that you're particularly excited to see, going back to what we talked about, an audience sort of making them their own, that how the audience responds to them? And especially with the idea that you know audiences today, because they hear everything right away, they adapt to everything quickly so they can pick and choose their favorites and sort of give them their own interpretation.
0: I think you're right. There isn't going to be a lot of time on those opening gigs to put too many new songs in if we want to make people happy, which we definitely do. Um, but I think people have responded really well to good sides, so I'm very hopeful that people are going to like the rest of this album. I think it's very me, and it's very Brad, and it's, it's what you'd expect with a totally fresh sound. So I think we, we like it. <laughs> you know, Cool. Cool. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Sorry if I couldn't keep up, but, you know.
0: Are you coming from somewhere?
1: Like, Well, I we just did another interview. Scary pool party. Great kid. And like I said, it's just sort of a comb- culmination of exhaustion.
0: Well, I'm sorry about that. I know that feeling. So thanks for sticking with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, like I said, to you, it's like, damn it, all right. I've actually got to be intelligent with you. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it so much fucking harder. <laughs> I'm like, damn it, you know. Now I got to think, man. Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you've been tuned into My Turning Point with special guest Liz Fair. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Thanks.
0: Let me tell you how it's done here in the Hollywood. Maybe you was thinking you was in the Bollywood. If I want to break the rule, you know I probably could. CBS has got an Aria face I'd love to help you out, but we have what we call standards and practices. In legal
2: times, we're referring to this as a recoupable interest in an artist's compositions on vinyl plastic, digital, and all transmittable airwaves for a period of no less than six or nine
3: years. As someone living with lung cancer, speaking up and being proactive during this cancer journey is absolutely critical. Self advocating can play a big role when dealing with lung cancer, but it doesn't need to be daunting. Try preparing questions you want to ask your doctor at your next appointment, confirming when you are unsure or have concerns, and asking about biomarker testing, which may help your doctor select an appropriate treatment. I hope anyone who's diagnosed with lung cancer, whatever the stage, is willing to speak up, ask questions, assemble a support team, and fight. Visit bit.ly SoundUp for Lung Cancer for links to resources and to learn about SoundUp, a patient-inspired, community-led campaign supported by Novartis to empower people affected by lung cancer. It used to be hard to find the exact auto parts you needed, and that meant spending a lot of time at swap meets. It's a different game now when you can order exactly what you need from eBay Motors. They have 122 million parts, so you can always find the right fitment. Spend less time searching and more time building with the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's
2: ride. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football